let's pray. Father, we do uh, lift up this time this morning, and we do ask, God, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, uh, kind of a tough passage going through and a a lot of things to say about it, but God, I know that you have something for every single one of us. And I pray that we would listen to you, that we would hear you, and, and Lord, that we wouldn't get distracted, even with distractions of, of some thoughts and ideas and different things, but Lord, that we would just be still and let you speak to us. And that we could leave here today knowing that, knowing we've been in the presence of our God, knowing that you're going to minister to our hearts. So we do give you this time this morning. We thank you for it. And we do pray, God, that you would just challenge us in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as we get into this, I want to read the section. Then we're going to talk about it and and some of the difficulties. But let's just read, uh, uh, I was going to say Ephesians, Hebrews 6, 1 through 8. He says, therefore, leaving the discussions of elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from the dead, from dead works and faith toward God of doctrines of, bapti- of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal life. And this we will do if God permits, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, have tasted the heavenly gift, have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed whose end is to be burned. So the hard section today, reaching a place in the Hebrews that is probably probably one of the most, by many opinions, difficult passages in all of the New Testament. A lot of different opinions, a lot of different, uh, and godly men have different views and different interpretations, and it's a difficult thing to get through. Although, I think if we will unpack it properly, we can understand the heart of God. One of the most important things about Hebrews 6 to me is this, don't apply it to anybody around you. Don't think about this person, don't think about that person, don't think about yourself. Remember, he's writing, God is writing to us, God's heart is for us, and if we always remember that God's desire for us is to grow and to change and to mature, we will be okay. But the minute we start thinking God is against us, we're gonna be in trouble. So we've got to keep those things in perspective. And then also, and this is going to be a long introduction, also remember who he is writing to. The author of Hebrews is writing to a bunch of Jews who became Christians who are struggling. They're struggling in their faith. They're struggling in life. They're having a difficult time. And there's many of them who are thinking this, I just want to go back to Judaism. That was comfortable. That was easy. In Ephesians, the uh, last time we were talking about, we were talking about taking off 
certain things and putting on other things. And you know that Judaism cloth, man, that cloak they wore, that was comfortable. And they're being stretched and they're being pushed and they're having a hard time. So we have to remember that first and foremost. And then secondly, we also have to remember God wants to speak to us. He cares about us. He's concerned about us. So having said that, once again, a difficult, difficult passage to kind of work through and understand. And I'm going to start out here giving some of the views of this passage and, and some of what other people view this as, and we'll boil it down and then we'll unpack it, and I guess I'm going to give you my interpretation, which by the way is the correct one. So, <laughs> so listen, listen, first, first and foremost, some people believe that this is speaking about real Christians who lose their salvation. And there's a group of people who believe that. They're godly people, they believe that. Now, I do have an issue with that. It's contradictory. Here's a couple passages. We'll look at this in a little bit more detail in a little bit. But here's some passages in John chapter 6 and John chapter 10 and Romans chapter 8. And we'll read some of these in a moment. But I believe these go totally against it. So here's what one thing we need to understand. When we're reading a difficult passage, you need to interpret the passage in light of other scriptures. Never isolate a passage by itself and try and figure out what it means. We've gotta take the whole counsel of God. So I'm giving you that, and so there is that group. Then there's a group, then there's a group who think that this whole thing is just hypothetical. In other words, the author is just saying, this could happen. Now. I, I don't hold to that because I don't think God just gives us hypothetical things to scare us into doing the right thing. I just don't think his, that's his heart. But the hypothetical people are Ryrie uh, with his study Bible. Wearsby is in that camp that says, hey, it's just a hypothetical thing. So you need to know, listen, these are godly men. These are men that should be respected. So I don't want you to say, oh, they're terrible for that. That's just, hey, that's where they come. Why? Difficult passage. Hard to understand, even boiling it down to the Greek. So there's those guys that believe that. Then there's the ones that they believe this is speaking about a believer who backslides or gets in that position of complacency so bad they lose their reward and their reward Remember in Corinthians, he says we're gonna face the judgment seat of Christ and we're gonna go through fire as we go through and, and everything that's not, you know, of the Lord is gonna get burned up. And so because of the illustration he uses in, in seven and eight, they say uh, that's what he's talking about. In this camp is Dallas Theological Seminary and most of the people who came out of that. I think of, of Swindoll, of Dwight Pentecost, the Bible Knowledge Commentary. All of that is influenced from that thinking. So that's what they believe. And again, you know, right or wrong, that's the camp they're in. And I'm thinking, well, that's okay. I don't hold to that necessarily. I see where they're coming from, but I don't hold to that. Then the last one is, this is speaking about a group of people who pretend to be believers, look like believers, but they're not believers. They're what I've referred to often through Hebrews and through uh, 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 Ephesians, they're posers. They're people who are playing the game. I can talk about that some because I did that for a while. 
and I was playing the game. Praise God that he pulled me all the way in and I quit playing. But I know there's some here this morning that are just posers. You're just acting like Christians for whatever reason there is. Maybe to soothe your conscience, maybe to you know appease the spouse, do something. I believe, listen, I believe that's who he's talking to. And it's really not unusual. When you think in the Bible, think of, think of Acts chapter 8. Remember the guy, his name's Simon, that Simon Mangus who acted like a believer and walked away. But then I think our greatest example of that is there was a guy who hung out with Jesus. Do you remember? I think his name was Judas. Everybody thought, listen, everybody thought Judas was okay. Why do I say that? When Jesus said, tonight, one of you is going to betray me, they all didn't go, it's Judas, we know. What did they say? Is it me, Lord? So Judas was a tremendous poser, wasn't he? Pretender. So I, listen, I think it's teaching that. Now, here's what I know it is not teaching for sure. It is not teaching that if you sin and backslide as a believer, you lose your salvation and there's no chance of you getting saved. I know it doesn't teach that. There are those who say that. Now, I don't believe, listen, I don't believe it's teaching you can lose your salvation because I don't believe you can. Now, some people will ask me sometimes, Hey, Pat, do you believe in once saved, always saved? I don't like that terminology. I think that's, it's just, I know it's just semantics, but I just don't like that terminology because most people who ask that are people who want to live in the world and go in the world and count on something they did 15 years ago. That's why that bothers me, just that saying. So, you know, when people ever ask me that, I say, I don't like that saying. I don't like the way it's presented. Do I believe in eternal security? Absolutely. Why? Because that's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we have, what, what, we're going to read some passages, but it teaches we have eternal life. What does that mean? If he gives us eternal life, can you define that for me? You don't have to yell it out. <laughs> eternal life means what? Eternal life. It doesn't mean almost eternal life. Listen, it doesn't say Jesus gives you almost eternal life. He gives us eternal life. So why do I believe in eternal security and why do I think this is not teaching that? Listen, that you can lose your salvation and you're gone and you're forever doomed. Let me read some passages. I'll put them up because there's quite a few because I just wanted to back this up. Again, scripture, interpreting scripture, using scripture. I'm gonna read through these in Philippians 1.6. Paul says this, being confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. First Peter chapter one, and into talking about our salvation, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit to, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That's Ephesians 4. 1 John 2, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us, for if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. John chapter 6, 
For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. John chapter 10. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, for they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. And then Romans chapter 8. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think all of those kind of come together and let us know we're secure in Christ. And that's good news. Listen, that's good news. They do not give us a license to sin. They do not give us a license to go out on our own. They're speaking to our hearts that we're secure, that he saved us and we're secure. Why some of the warnings in Roman or in Hebrews? Because people sometimes start to take advantage of the Lord or become complacent. And so far he's given us two warnings, right? Or I call them encouragements. Encouragement not to drift, encouragement not to doubt. Now he comes to this one, probably the sternest of all of them, the strictest of all of them. And once again, I want us to remember, what is the overall context? You see, there's important things when we're interpreting scripture. We gotta keep context in mind. We gotta keep the verbiage in mind. We gotta understand what he's talking about. And we have to keep all of scripture in mind. What is the context? What have we been reading about the last couple of weeks? We've been reading about Immature believers need to become mature, right? Last week we talked about baby food versus... <laughs> Every, how, how many got steak for lunch? All right, a few of us did, huh? So we're going from, we're going from ribeye or baby food, right? Which are you going to eat? And that was the challenge. And if you remember when we left off, because the end of five flows into six. It's kind of a bad, I think, kind of a bad chapter break. And once again, I want you to know chapters were not given by God, so I'm not bagging on God when I say it's a bad chapter break right? Man put those in. So what did he say? He said, hey, when you eat solid food, those who eat solid food, then by reason, they're able to understand and discern righteousness and evil, right? We become people who are righteous, and we talked about holiness. Now, having said that, and having talked about them being immature and not walking in that, here's what he says, therefore, right? Verse six, or verse one of chapter six, therefore. So talking about that, here's what he says. Leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Now, here's what I find interesting. He says, hey, now we need to leave. Now listen, when he's talking about leaving, he's not talking about we leave those things and we ignore them. You're moving beyond those things is what he's talking about. If you learn your ABCs, which I'm thinking most of you did, do you still use your ABCs? If you talk and read and communicate, yes, right? Good, some of you are awake, some of you are still sleeping, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But I think it's important that we understand that. Listen, we learn as children, we learn ABCs. Why? So we can build on that and we change and we grow. And, you know, very rarely do we have to stop and go, ABC. 
We don't, we don't have, why? Because, because we know them, right? And we built on them. That's what he's talking about. So he says, hey, let us go beyond those. So I don't want us to think that, hey, you know, as a Christian, I learn certain things and then I move on and I become the mature believer that I am today. He's talking about, let's build on those. So listen to what he says. Again, he says, you know, let's, uh, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles, the ABCs of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Now listen to what the ABCs are because I think this is fun. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So he, listen, he laid out six things here, and, and I call them in pairs of two. And he sort of laid it out, and he goes, these are the ABCs. And, you know, in the beginning of the ABCs, I think it's interesting, we, we leave dead works. In other words, we leave the place where we think we can earn our own salvation and gain our own salvation. We come to the place we quit trusting self, listen carefully, and we start trusting God. That's what he says. He says, we leave dead works. He says, when we, we leave dead works and we turn to faith towards God. Something goes on. I can remember, man, when it all like clicked in my head. Ding, 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 ding. Oh, I need to trust what Jesus did on the cross. I need to believe that. I need to put my faith in that. And turning from self. So that's part of the ABCs. In our foundation class, we teach some of these things. This is, this is the foundation that we want to lay. Everybody, hey, we need a good foundation if we're going to build on it, right? So part of our foundation is talking about, you know, turning and having faith in God and turning away from works. The doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands. Now, listen, here's, here's the funny thing. As I read some of the commentaries, and somebody commented a while back that how come you don't name commentaries you don't disagree with? Because here's the reason. I may not disagree with them in one section, but I might agree with them in another section, and I don't want you forming an opinion about a certain writer just because I said something. So that's why I don't name them. If it's total heresy, I'll name them. If they're out there, I'll name them. But when I say, hey, I don't agree, some of the commentaries here say, oh, he's not talking about baptism, baptism, which is interesting to me. And it's, it's the same word, only it's in plural. And they're going, he's talking about washings. And I'm going, okay. And I kind of get, remember the Jews, if you've been to Israel with us, when you're on the southern steps, remember there's all those mikvahs. They're, they're, little, they're little like bathtubs that they would go down in and they would wash as they're going up to the temple to worship God. They would go through certain ritualistic uh, worshipers would do that, certain washings. I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think he's talking about baptisms, plural. How can you have more than one? I think he's talking about physical baptism with water, and I think he's talking about spiritual baptism when the Holy Spirit baptizes us into Christ. That's ABCs. Listen, that's foundational stuff. And again, we teach it in a foundation class. And, and I think those are the, you know, those are the baptisms, if you will. And then he's talking about laying on of hands. And again, how does the church work? What's the authority is the way I look at it. It's not, listen, I don't think it's laying on hands of, of giving people the Holy Spirit. I think it's laying on hands of identifying and, 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 and doing that. And 
bottom line, how the church, interacting in the church. So I think he's talking about that and how we do that, how we recognize elders, how we recognize pastors and stuff. We lay hands on them. And then he says, and the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. I hope you believe in the resurrection of the dead if you're born again. I mean, isn't that our hope? Now, I believe, listen, I believe with all my heart, when we die, we go into the presence of the Lord. Why? Again, Philippians, Paul talks about it. Second Corinthians, Paul talks about it. And so I think, listen, spiritually we go, but we've been around, I think all of us probably have been around a dead body, and the body's still here, right? I believe that person's spirit goes and bees with, goes and bees with. That works. So they go and bees with the Lord. But their body is still here. What happens to that body? Eventually, that body is resurrected. Well, what if it decays? It gets resurrected. What if modern times, a lot of people get cremated? What if it's cremated? You don't think God can put it back together? I think he can, and once again, people who are, you know, killed in fires, people who died in, in 9-11 and were burned up in those buildings, God can put those bodies, he's not like freaked out like, oh, no. He can put, listen, he can put us, and he will, and we are promised the bodily resurrection. We're gonna be resurrected just like Jesus. How was Jesus resurrected? Bodily. So that's a promise, listen, and so we talk about, and again, I think it's kind of an elementary thing. We talk about that in, in our foundations class. And then he says also uh, the judgment of end times or eternal judgment, which I think is something that motivates all of us to some degree, that judgment is coming, that God is going to judge people for their sin, and if your sin is not under the blood of Jesus Christ, you will be judged for your sin. That's a promise from God that he's gonna keep. So those are ABCs. Now, listen, I wanna flip this a little bit so we'll kinda understand how do we go from ABCs onto maturity and, and how do we build on that foundation? So I listed these things and we teach these things in our foundation class. Our foundation class is laying a foundation, right? Now, let's go from our foundations class to our school of ministry. And what do we teach in our school of ministry? And how does, that, how does that go along with what we're doing? Well, one of the classes we teach in school of ministry is called soteriology, the study of salvation. Huh, you know what that covers? You know what soteriology covers? It covers not trusting in myself and putting faith in God, just in a deeper sense, in a different way. Are you guys tracking with me? Same stuff, only you go deeper and you understand it to a greater degree, and you go further with it. We teach another class called pneumatology. What's pneumatology about? How the Spirit works in us and works in the church, right? Kind of the same thing of baptisms and laying on of hands. We teach eschatology, which is end times. What does that have to do with? It has a lot to do with the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Do you get my point? You go from foundation to school of ministry, you're learning some of the same stuff, you're just learning it deeper, and you're going further with it. So that's what he's saying here. And I love the idea, let's go on to perfection. 
Now listen, again, when he says perfection, I don't think he's, he's necessarily talking about let's become perfect people. He's talking about completion. Let's go further with this. Let's see how far we can take this. And I think we should always be learning with Jesus. I don't think, you know, hey, if you've come to the point where you know everything, could you talk to me afterwards and kind of fill me in and help me out? Because I don't know everything. And so listen, man, we're always growing and we're always learning. So he lays that out. Listen, I love that. And he lays all that out. And then he says, we're going to do this in verse 3. He says, and this we will do if God permits. So all of chapter 5 and talking about being immature and not growing, I want you to pay attention to pronouns he uses. He uses a first person and a second person. We and you. And he goes through it that way and he talks to them that way. Even in the beginning of chapter six, what does he say? We and us. Let us go on. We will if it's, if it's God's will, right? So listen, listen to what he says. Now here's an interesting thing. In verse four, five, and six, different pronoun. Huh. That should give us, listen, that should cause our little minds to go ding, 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 ding. It's us and we, us and we, us and we, or I. I don't think he uses I a lot, but us and we. Now look at what he says, and we're going to read through 4, 5, and 6, and then go back. For it's impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good works of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance since they crucify uh, uh, for themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. This is why it's important. Listen, this is why having good biblical interpretation principles is so important. A little thing like pronouns, a lot of times we don't pay attention. But notice that switch. Oh, and then listen, we're, we're gonna read verse nine at the end, but look at verse nine. It says, but beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Huh. It's us and we, and then it's they and them and those, and then it's we again. What does that tell you? He's talking about a different group of people. He's changed pronouns. He's got to be talking about different people as he's speaking about that. So who on earth is he talking about in 4, 5, and 6? He's talking about the posers. He's not talking about true believers who are wanting to grow, who are getting stuck and getting messed up. He's talking about those who are pretending to be Christians. And here's what he says to them. He says, oh, oh, here's a good word. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened. And then if we skip down, if we skip down, for it is impossible if they fall away to renew them again. Some people say this, impossible doesn't mean impossible. I always love it when people do that. Well, he didn't really mean impossible. Well, why did he use that word? Now, once again, let's get broader in the book of Hebrews, this author uses impossible two other times. He uses it earlier in the writing in chapter two, and he uses it later in the writing, and I think it's chapter eight, nine, 10, maybe 11, maybe 12, <laughs> maybe 15, there's not that many, but he uses, it, he uses it two more times. One of the times he uses, he says, 
it is impossible for us to please God without faith. Hmm, what does that mean? That means you can't please God without faith, right? Another time that he uses it, he talks about it is impossible to take away sin with the blood of bulls and goats. So there you go, right? So what does he mean when he says impossible? He means it can't be done. So I want us to clarify that. So when he says impossible here, he means impossible. So he says, listen, it is impossible if they fall away to renew them again to repentance. And he says, for those who were, and then he describes these people, they were once enlightened. They have tasted of the heavenly gift. They've become partakers of the Holy Spirit. And they have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. Now, that kind of sounds like, to me, believers. At least it sounds to me like people who are in the church. And when he says, listen, when he says that they've, they've come and they, he, says, he says that they, they're, first of all, they, they, they've become enlightened, that means they're, they, they've gotten the information, it's come to them. And then he uses this interesting word, they've tasted the heavenly gift, and then they've tasted the good word of God. And Again, some of the commentators say, see, they just tasted it. What does the author of Hebrews mean when he talks about tasting something? Does he mean just licking an ice cream cone? Here is another time he used it. And this is in chapter two. Those other references were later on. Chapter two, he said, Jesus tasted death for everyone. Did Jesus just lick it? Or did he completely take it? Yeah. Right? He was engaged. So this means, listen, this means people who are engaged. This means people who are maybe serving in some kind of capacity. They're really there. And for all intents and purposes, outwardly, they look like every other believer that's here, that's sitting here. And so listen carefully. I don't want you. Last night, a couple people were going, I wonder if so-and-so. And then one, one person even talked to me about their, their son. And I'm going, Seriously? Well, I don't think he can be saved. Wow, I would never say that about any individual. Listen, this is not for you and I to figure out who's in and who's out. This is for you and I to look at our lives and examine ourselves. Doesn't the Bible say, examine yourself and see if you be found in the faith? So it's okay, it's okay to take a self-evaluation. Big word there, self. Don't evaluate others. No one, listen, the Holy Spirit has not given up his position to you. So just stay in your lane, right? But here's what he's saying, man. He's saying these people for all intents and purposes look like every other believer. I think a lot of us would even say, I think they're believers. And again, we don't need to be going around judging people, but they seem like it. They, they're people, they've, they're partakers of the Holy Spirit. That means they've had some interaction with him. They've tasted the good word of God, the powers of the age to come. They've seen all of that. And then he talks about if they fall away. One of the big words there is if. He's not saying when. He's saying if. Who's he writing to? He's writing to some believers that are struggling. He's writing to some believers that want to go back. They want to go back. They want to fall away. He's going, don't do it. Watch out. If, if they fall away, here's what he says, man. If they fall away, to renew them again to repentance. 
here's the thing. Again, I don't think it's just backsliding. There are a lot of us here today who have backslid and then front slid. So I don't think he's just talking, listen, I don't think he's just talking about backsliders. Whenever I think about that, there was a person in our church years ago, years ago came to me. They, were, they came to my house. And here's what they told me. They said, hey, Pat, I'm gonna backslide. I said, seriously? I, I'm not kidding. And I, they go, yeah. And I go, can I talk you out of it? Is there something I can say? They go, no. And they go, but I'll let you know when I'm done. <laughs> okay. I mean, what do you do with that? Well, here's what I did with it. I prayed for him. I prayed for him for five years. They came back. Very involved, very encouraging, et cetera. Listen carefully. I'm not telling you that story so you can say, well, I'm going to take a five-year break. But there are some people who backslide, and that doesn't mean they're lost forever. That's a horrible doctrine. That's a horrible, horrible idea that if you see a brother or sister in Christ in that position, that you would place a judgment on them that they could never be saved. That's terrible. So I know that's not what he's talking about, but I do believe there are people who come to the place where they make up their minds, they're never coming back. And I believe that's, he's saying, listen, if they turn back, again, he's talking to some Hebrews, what are they gonna fall away? What are they gonna turn back to? Judaism. And what was the major problem of Judaism in the first century? It was Judaism, it was the leaders of the Jewish uh, faith that caused the crucifixion of Christ. Are you tracking with where I'm going? Because he says a strange thing. He says, if you go back, if you fall away, you cannot re be, uh, return to repentance. Why, he says? Because you crucify again for themselves the Son of God. Here's what they say, and I even think other believers say that, but more so that group. Here's what they're saying. I'm going back to Judaism. What Jesus did on the cross makes no difference. As a matter of fact, he probably deserved it. As believers, if you're walking with Jesus one day and the next day you decide you don't need him, here's what you're saying. His dying on a cross means nothing to me. So you're crucifying him all over again. And you're putting him to open shame. That's horrific when you think about it. So I believe, listen, I believe in a sense that goes on today. I think it was a greater possibility for the group of people he was writing to, but I even think that goes on today. Now, again, I'm not trying to tell you this to say cause judgment or whatever. Here's my prayer. If you're a poser today, man, I'm praying you're uncomfortable as all get out. I'm praying your palms are sweating. I'm praying the bottom of your feet are sweating. I'm praying there's sweat coming down your face. Now everybody's going to look around. Now, I want you to be uncomfortable. Why? Because I don't want you to go here. And then, and then, listen, he says, hey, if they do that, they crucify themselves the Son of God, and they put him to open shame. Seven and eight, then, is the illustration that he uses that is a little bit strange to me. He says, for the earth which drinks in the rain that come, that often comes upon it, and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it, it, it is rejected and near being cursed whose end is to be burned. 
I understand what he's saying, but I'm thinking that was a weird illustration for what you just talked about in four, five, and six. It's just a little odd, you know, and I think what was in his heart, what was in his mind, Jesus gave the parable of the different soils, right? There was a hard soil, there was a rocky soil, there was the weedy soil, was that it, weedy? And then there was the good soil. So I think maybe that was in his head. Also, I think in his head might be, as he's writing this whole thing, might be Matthew chapter seven. You might read that for homework. Matthew chapter seven, he talks about a good tree brings forth good fruit, a bad tree brings 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 forth bad fruit. And he says a good tree doesn't ever bring forth bad fruit, and a bad tree never brings, right? He's saying you will know them by their fruit. And then Jesus says this, many, many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not heal in your name? And he says, depart from me. Listen, I never knew you. They're not people who lose their salvation. They're people who never had it to begin with. And again, maybe that's in his head as he's talking about this and going through this. So, That's the scary part. I think we navigated through it. I think you know what I believe. You can draw your own conclusions. You can study it and disagree with me. That's fine. But I want to read verse 9 because I think it's important. We'll study it next week, but I want to to put it in here. But, beloved, don't you love that? Listen, here's what's going on. Here's the danger. Here's where you could go. But, beloved, right? That's important. But, beloved, we are are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. Oh, thank you, verse nine. My challenge for us today is not to figure out where somebody else is at. That's none of your business. As I said, you're not the Holy Spirit. He's not, you know, dethroned and let you take his place. So just chill on that one. Examine yourself. And posers know, hey, when I was posing, I knew I was posing. It's not like, I, it's not like listen, it's not like I was sitting in Bible studies going, oh, I know I'm saved. I'm sitting there going, you're such a poser. Hallelujah. Because you learn the terminology. You learn what to say. But you're posing. And if you're posing this morning, you know it. You're sitting there and you know You do not trust Jesus Christ for your salvation. I'm praying you're uncomfortable. Now, if you're sitting here this morning and you know Jesus Christ is is the reason that you're here and that you are saved and you're a little, you're a little like freaked out, it's okay. It's okay to be a little freaked out. Read your Bible, read those verses I put up on, on assurance of salvation, and then go forward with them. Hebrews chapter six doesn't scare me for me. I don't read it and get scared. I read it and think about myself, do some examining, but Hebrews chapter six scares me for posers. And so I have to warn posers. Let's stand up and pray. Father, we do thank you once again today. We thank you for the challenge as we look at your word. And and Lord, what a a challenge when, when you go through a passage that many great minds have gone through and and. There's so much, not disagreement, but difference of interpretation. And so, Lord, I pray, I pray that 
the things said this morning from this pulpit were right things, correct things, good things. And God, most of all, though, I pray that as we get ready to go, that we could be men and women who are even more sure of our salvation because of Jesus Christ than we were when we came in. We're even more convinced that, Lord, you love us, you care for us, you're concerned about us, you wanna be involved in our lives, and that we would leave here with confidence in our God. And at the same time, Lord, I pray for the posers. I pray that right now you convict them and you touch those hearts and you don't let them get comfortable, but draw them to yourself. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in an attitude of prayer for a couple more minutes. And if you are here today, and number one, you've never asked Jesus to forgive your sins, you've never asked him to come into your life, at least sincerely, you've never called on him, man, today is the day to do it. And if you're a poser, man, you need to know something. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He cares about you. Today is the day to end that and to begin that relationship with him. And so we just want to challenge you in that way. So if you want, listen, if you want your sins to be forgiven, if you want to know as you leave here today that you have forgiveness, that you have this relationship with God, then say this prayer with me. And it's a simple prayer. And you're just going to let God know that you know you're a sinner. You're going to ask him to forgive you based on what he did on the cross. You're going to thank him for his forgiveness. And you're going to ask him to come into your life. It's that simple. So if you want to do that, say this prayer with me. If you're backslidden, man, my prayer, say this prayer today. Don't put it off. Don't wait. I think of the story with five years. You may not have five years. So you don't want to wait. You don't want to go out that door without getting right with the Lord. If you're watching online, you're at home, you can say this prayer right where you're at. You don't have to be here. Just call on the name of the Lord. Jesus, today, I confess to you that I am a sinner. And today I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for your forgiveness. Right now, I want you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, come into my life and guide me. I'm asking you today to be my Lord and my Savior.